Hello and welcome to the Last Wicket Podcast. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mayank. And guys, this episode is going to be pretty straightforward because we don't have any guests for this episode. Um, we are just going to be talking about what stood out for us this past year, 2023, and what uh, we're going to be looking forward in 2024 as fans of the game. So, Mayank, first of all... Uh, Thanks for joining in on this call because we kind of decided on this very last minute uh, with just a week to go before Christmas and we all have our own plans as far as uh, spending time with family and travels and all of that. Uh, but I thought it would be good to just take stock of the year that's that's gone by. Uh, before we get into the details, as a fan, as a cricket fan, uh, has there anything that has stood out for you like this year in terms like in a broad way in a broad way has 2023 what well, how has 2023 been for you as a fan um i think it's i mean it's been you know some fantastic cricket a lot of cricket as we've sort of got, gotten used to over the past few years um but the one thing i guess that stood out is the transition to franchise teams and all of that more and more of that is happening i think that's clear and how that's impacting international cricket, not just because of, you know, the time available to schedule international cricket, but also players like um, Trent Bold, uh, Nicholas Puran, these people have, you know, uh, turned down contracts from their boards. Uh, so we're starting to see that come into play, which I think is a big shift in cricket. And uh, it's been gradual. It's not like it, it's only happened in this year, but... Um, I think this is probably the year where it starts to really go towards franchise cricket. And I think the way the cricket uh, world works in 10 years is going to be drastically different. Yeah, I think the the too much cricket part is definitely, yeah, you know, it's, it's very true because I honestly cannot remember specifics or details of many games apart from like a few marquee games this year. And it's kind of sad because on one hand there is a lot of cricket uh and then we'll, we'll probably get into this later in this episode but some teams don't get enough games so it, it's this weird mix uh you know we're seeing where some teams are playing a lot of cricket and others are not uh but as a fan you know every day i check like you know the cricket info app and there's some game happening somewhere in the world and <laughs> And it's just overwhelming to a certain point, either be it international or it's like some T20 league or even T10 league for that matter. And everybody's playing everywhere. And I've just like lost, you know, sight of like who's playing where. So it, there's, there's definitely no shortage of cricketing action, but it also feels personally for me as a fan, it seems the start of this phase in my cricket following uh, uh, phase where I just cannot remember games anymore because it's all going by in a blur. In a way, that's good, especially with uh, <laughs> the recent World Cup. In a way, it helps me move on. So I guess that's where we are. And I guess that's uh, what the future is going to be like. Yeah, I mean, I feel some, somewhat similar, you know, uh, personally, like uh, uh, maybe seven, eight years back, I would know every series that's going on and I would if yeah. not be able to watch it, at least watch the highlights of pretty much every game, men's or women's. And um, obviously that at that point, franchise cricket wasn't as big. So apart from IPL, I wouldn't really watch that. 
Um, I, I mean, I still don't, but um, I guess the, the, the way it's worked out is now we have to even pick and choose that, you know, lives are getting busier. Right. We are at just different stages of our lives. And of course, the time zone being in the US doesn't help. But nonetheless, plenty of good cricket to follow. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll jump into it. Yeah. Um, so how we're going to do this episode is we're going to kind of walk through beginning to end of 2023, like how the year started with what kind of cricketing action. And we'll just talk through uh, uh, things that really stood out for us. And, and it's, of course, this is very subjective. This is for us individually as fans, what stood out for us and not necessarily, you know, every single major event that happened in 2023. So, uh, Keep that in mind as we go through this uh, episode. We're going to be talking about um, some highlights of 2023. All right, let's get into it. So the year started with the uh, beginning of SA20. So that it's the South African T20 League Um and the reason this is an important one is there were teams which are owned by the IPL franchises, and it's obviously not the only league where IPL franchises own teams, but this is changing cricket in a couple of ways. We already kind of touched on it. Uh, you know, there's more uh, franchise cricket nowadays, um, and the fact that a team like Mumbai Indians or, or a franchisee like Mumbai Indians have teams in the US, in South Africa, all of that means that cricketers have the opportunity to play across these, these leagues and ignore their contracts with the home board. Um, and the second piece, which is worth noting, is this also confirms um, that South Africa's test calendar is only going to be two tests. They have been, you know, they, back in the 2010s, early 2010s, they used to have three test series, whether it was India visiting, England visiting. That's not been the case for the last few years. And with this, right jam-packed in the middle of January, which is, you know, their summer, um, this almost confirms that like New Zealand, uh, South Africa is going to go to a two-test calendar, uh, which is which is disappointing because usually, you know, South Africa is a great place to watch cricket. They've obviously, you know, produced some fantastic talent and uh, uh, whether it's Australia visiting in recent times, even India visiting, England visiting, the contest has been fantastic. So uh, that'd be a little bit of a bummer. Uh, thoughts on that, Benny? Yeah, the two things uh, that stood out for me, and we'll talk about the test stuff first, because like you, um, you know, I I think it's it's kind of sad that's happening with the calendar, the test calendar shortening up. Because you know, growing up as a as a relatively new fan, I remember tours to South Africa. You know, tours to South Africa and Australia were always like the like a big deal. You know, as a young cre- in, Indian cricket fan, um, England too, but for the most part, just because of the teams, uh, the strength of the teams that uh, Australia and South Africa possessed. And so whenever India would go and tour those two countries and play like a test series there, which is typically, you know, a three test series, it was just great. I know India got smashed almost all of the time, but it was still like great to watch, you know, the grounds, like the atmosphere, very different to Indian crowds, of course, but still like a very colorful, vibrant atmosphere, always made for some good contests, you know, especially when the Indian players turned up, uh, when when they turned in their A game. So now we are, obviously a lot has changed in the last 
two decades or even three decades and not all for the better um, because I think it's unfortunate that we have to satisfy ourselves with just two tests. What happens if one test is affected by rain? It essentially becomes like a one test shootout. And I think it's unfair because most teams don't tour each other as often as they normally would because of a new format, uh, like a third format uh, since the last two decades. So I think it's I think it's unfortunate, uh, and maybe it's like the nostalgia, uh, you know, the nostalgic fan in me, where um, you know that's just that was always a staple of my childhood, watching these you know longer series in these countries because that was always such a high profile and something you always look forward to, you know? So it, it is disappointing, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon unless crowds and fans demand longer uh, series. And even then for that to happen, people, you know, who are in those positions to make things happen, they have to listen. Um, and till the dollar signs stop flashing, that's not going to change anytime soon. So it's just something that I feel, uh, unfortunately, we just have to accept. But the other thing with the T20 leagues, um, you know, IPL franchises owning T20 teams in different parts of the world. Um, initially, I was not sure how this is going to, how this is all going to turn out. But of course, I had uh, an opportunity to attend major, like a major league cricket game here in the U.S., um, where a team owned by uh, the Chennai Super Kings, or it was the Texas Super Kings here, uh, and I got to, you know, enjoy the atmosphere of, uh, you know, watching a game here in the U.S. And I have to say, it felt like watching an IPL game, <laughs> you know, for what it's worth. And that's and I ascribe that to essentially the IPL effect. If it was any other team, right? Or let's say if it was if it was just someone uh, if it was a team owned by some corporation or some company here in the U.S., it doesn't have it doesn't necessarily have a history. It doesn't have anything to tap into. But with this came the fans who already have this relationship with IPO teams, and they have something here in the U.S. where they can kind of transfer that fandom to, and that just made for an electric atmosphere in all those. Texas Super Kings game. So overall, I think if you just limit your outlook to the T20 leagues, T20 games, and not think about how it's affecting other formats, I think IPL franchises branching out and owning you know teams across the world and uh, across leagues across the world, it's actually a good thing for fan engagement and just fans to buy into that team. And so I think that's... I think that's a good thing. I, I I actually have come around on that, and I think that'll be great. And if players end up playing for multiple teams, the same franchise but in multiple leagues, you just get, you know, you, you can associate even stronger. So right. that's one of the things that I think is turning in the right direction. Yeah, and, and I think the one other aspect there is it's great for the growth of the game because I, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. I think it's clear, like you know, I, I know you attended. Um, an MLC game, but there were others, you know, who've covered that. Uh, Peter Delapena had interactions with American fans who were watching cricket for the first time, and those are very interesting interactions where they showed a lot of interest. 
So from a yeah. development of a game, I, I completely agree. Those are all, you know, steps in the right direction. Um, from a growth perspective, yes, it's sharing the game with other countries which don't typically have high quality cricket, which is absolutely fantastic. The the piece where which is still to some extent missing is chances to associate cricketers. Uh, we recently yeah. had um, uh, Dwayne Leverlock, the the famous cricketer from Bermuda, who took Robin Thapar's catch in the 2007 World Cup. His nephew, who's now the Bermuda captain. Uh, he recently tweeted how, you know, in spite of performing consistently at the level that he can, which is for Bermuda, um, he's never gotten any chances for in, in any of these leagues, which is obviously disappointing considering, you know, um, considering the proximity of the US League, the Caribbean CPL. So uh, I think that's definitely a place for growth. Um I know we've had Dan Weston on our podcast before, and he obviously follows T20 leagues a lot closer than you and I. And he's often talked about how it's still a case of, uh, you know, teams being very traditional in their thought process, not, you know, looking at statistics as well. And it almost feels to me that it's almost a case of who you know, because if there's a lot of South African and Australian coaches, even, you know, mediocre Australian players, uh, get picked in the IPL, for example, or median South African players get picked in the IPL over some of these associate superstars. Um, you know, somebody like Sikandar Raza didn't have a contract in the IPL until last year. So uh, that's just an indication of that. So while it is absolutely the right path forward, um, there's still a lot of work to be done so that we give those associate cricketers more time and more exposure. Yeah, the game is far from being democratized right now. Um but I also think there is hope just because five years ago, I mean, you look at the IPL, how many associate uh, players from associate countries do the IPL have? Now, I mean, just leaving aside the Afghan players, like you have someone like Josh Little becoming an integral part of the Gujarat Titans. And you have players from other countries who are, who, who, who even if not, who, even if they're not getting like a lot of game time, they're, being bought in these auctions and they are part of these squads. And now, and again, it comes back to the part where I talked about the IPL franchises buying up other teams in other leagues. It gives them an opportunity to test out some of these associate players outside of the IPL glare. And if right. they do well, it will give them an opportunity to feature in the IPL, like get some actual game time. So I think it's slow and painful, but I think we'll eventually progress to the point where uh, associate players will get more time. And I think at, at times like this, we need to remember where we started from <laughs> and yeah. think, uh, you know, we're making slow progress, but it's progress. Yeah. Way to, way to put a positive spin on it. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> Trying to but, be positive. <laughs> yeah. But in all seriousness, I mean, I think you're, you're right. I mean, it's definitely trended towards the right direction, whether it's going at the pace that the associate cricketers would like people who want to grow the game would like. That's obviously up, uh, clearly something we need to push for. But speaking of things that gave us hope, um, the next piece is definitely something that gave us as Indian fans a lot of hope. And that was the Indian under-19 team, the women's team, winning the World Cup in South Africa with uh, Shafali Verma as captain. Um, we had some fine performances by young uh, Shweta Sharawat as the top scorer, 
a couple of spinners doing really well for India um, in the entire World Cup in uh, I believe nine matches they were only beaten once which was in the Super 6 mm. stage uh, just a superb overall performance and uh, you know the, from the women's IPL becoming or the WPL as they call it becoming a bigger and bigger uh, part of the calendar get, getting more opportunities more Indians getting opportunities and say the big bash the hundred all of that you know uh, is starting to come together as a big stepping stone towards improvement in the quality and chances that Indian women get yeah um, you know first I'll preface by saying you know I, I'm I'm not super familiar with women's cricket in gen- women's international cricket in general so all of my thoughts are as someone who is still at the very beginner stage of understanding uh, the d- dynamics of all you know the different teams and their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but I think it's fairly accepted that the Indian women's cricket team is not where the Indian men's cricket the Indian men's cricket team is in terms of strength. Um, and I think. Over the last few years, they've got more visibility. And with that, they've got more attention, uh, better attention paid to like coaching or, you know, just um, fan engagement with them. And I think that's resulted in more and more uh, focus by the BCCI in making sure they can help improve the women's cricket team as well. And I think we're slowly seeing the fruits of it. And I think the, the under 19 women's performance is probably a great example where, I mean, how, a few years back, forget under-19s, we weren't even talking about women's cricket, uh, and especially Indian women's cricket, and now we are. And we're talking about the under-19 women winning the World Cup, which is a great sign for the future. Um, because, you know, like you mentioned, the Indian women's cricket team, uh, the seniors, um, they, they featured in their own uh, ICC event, you know, the T20 World Cup, which they... Uh, they lost to eventual winners, Australia, in the semifinal. Uh, Australia. I mean, of course, it had to be Australia. Um, <laughs> but I I think, uh, similar to what I was saying about the associate uh, cricketers, I think progress is good. And something like the under-19 women's winning, uh, to me, indicates that there is just so much potential to be tapped. And in the future, and when I say future, immediate future, just give it three, four years, I think uh, you will see the Indian women competing, you know, toe-to-toe, going toe-to-toe with Australia and England in a consistent, on a consistent basis. I mean, just recently, um, India defeated England uh, in a home test. And, you know, so the goods are there, the players are there, the talent is there, the skill is there. And I think with, you know, the the right kind of coaching and training, they they can do even better. So, uh I think this year was kind of mixed for the Indian Indian women's cricket in general. I mean, sure, the Indian under-19 women winning the World Cup, the start of the much-awaited Women's Premier League, all of that is great. Uh, but if you look at the Indian senior, women's senior, I think it's been kind of inconsistent. So when you look at teams like Australia and England, obviously you can see the fruits of their development uh, over the years, like you know how strong they are today. And so I think India is kind of playing catch up right now, but uh, uh, there are so many promising signs. Apart from the, the the WPL itself, just how the the talent in the U, because that's always been debated, right? Like when people used to bring up 
Premier League for women, uh, there are always questions about, is there enough talent? Is there enough skill right. in the domestic game to warrant a full-fledged IPL-style Premier League? And I think uh, we're we're beginning to get, uh, get the answer. So um, again, another thing that's on track, slow and steady progress, but uh, I think some good signs for Indian women's cricket. Yep, absolutely. And and speaking of, you know, positive signs, one of the other things that, were, that was good to see was a couple of teams in Rwanda and Indonesia actually played that um, under-19 World Cup, uh, which is fantastic to see. Those are teams that have not featured in a lot of in, uh, international cricket tournaments or at least at the, you know, highest stage. So that was great to see that those under-19 teams um, are starting to make their mark, obviously, Long way to go. We've seen that in the men's, you know, version as well, where uh, under nineteen teams such as Nepal um, feature all the time, but they still have a long way to go before they become competitive with with the likes of, you know, uh, even let's say Bangladesh and, and other countries. Yeah, and I, I I do want to mention very quickly though. I know I talked a bit about Indian women's cricket, but even just generally, I, I'm I'm really starting to enjoy. Um, watching women's cricket games because I've consciously made an effort to, even if I'm not watching every single game that's going on, because there's so many as we talked about, but, um, you know, among the few international games that I've been watching, there are some players who consistently, uh, who come up as, you know, being one of the best in the game and it's just exciting to watch them play. So I feel like I do need to mention, um, you know, like, uh, Nat Siverbrunt is just top class all around her. Like she's uh, one of the best players in the game that I've enjoyed watching. Same with uh, Laura Woolward, like uh, one of the best cover drives in the game. And I think that's including both men and women. Um, and of course, uh, Shabnam Ismail, uh, you know, she's the closest thing to like a Dale Stain kind of fast bowler uh, in women's cricket. So there are some really... Uh, and I, and I, a lot of credit to the WPL because it's, I think it's brought more attention to like the top women cricketers around the world. So uh, I'm really excited to see the next edition and to continue to follow some of these uh, star players. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think even in that World Cup, the T20 World Cup that uh, happened uh, early in the year, um, just some performances by Haley Matthews, for example, they were they were just outstanding. Um, and it's worth calling out that India was just a touch unfortunate in that semifinal. They were against up against the mighty Aussies. Uh, for all intensive purposes, their odds, you know, the odds were against them. Like the Australians have been a powerhouse as far as women's, I mean, as far as cricket is concerned, but particularly even more so as far as women's cricket is concerned. Yeah. And um, they went down by just five runs and that included... Um, if people, I'm sure if they'll remember at the moment I say it, the unfortunate Harman Preetkor uh, run out where her bat got stuck. Um, and, you know, so it'll be, I'm sure... Um, Seems to be becoming a feature now. I know, it's, it's happened again recently. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that one was the first one. And I'm sure, you know, after, for a while, that team thought of, you know, if only and what if, and, you know, they, they had yeah. those questions in mind. Uh, not to discount, of course, the English and the South African teams who were the other semi-finalists and they were superb teams. So even if India had managed to beat the Aussies, I'm sure it would have been 
an uphill task to win that final. Uh, but nonetheless, a um, little unfortunate uh, for the Indian women, but their their time will come. I mean, it's like a rite of passage. You have to endure all of these heartbreaks and near misses. So eventually when you win like a big title, like it'll be all the more sweeter. Yeah, and, and as Indian, uh, as followers of Indian men's cricket for two and a half decades, we know that better than well, anybody yeah, else. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of men's cricket, um, the next big series was the Border Gavaskar Trophy. So Australia came to India, um, India having won, you know, the last two in Australia and of course having won uh, the last several in India uh, were once again favorites. Um, the result was in India's favor. Uh, they won the series 2-1 with the final test uh, draw in Ahmedabad. Um, Benny, thoughts or recollections from this series? I just remember being... I'm trying... Uh, let me find the right word because I, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I had this sense of meh you know like you know uh just this feeling usually when india wins a series right even home series for that matter it, it, it feels exhilarating it feels well earned it feels very dominant uh but this game i remember there was a lot of talk about the pitches and i mean every india home series these days people will talk about pitches, <laughs> <Right. laughs> especially if teams are from australia or england and this, it was no different. But even by that yardstick, I just feel like the first two games, I remember, didn't they end early? Like, that's what I recollect now without even looking at the scorecard or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, India won, but the, there was a sense, I don't know if it was because of all the noise around the game, like outside of the game, and even like some pitch reports or some Australian players making some comments. It just felt it just took away from what would have been like, you know, the Bader Gavaskar trophy now has become like a marquee test series, right? It's, it's produced some of the best contests over the last two decades. And somehow this was underwhelming for me as a fan. And of course, Australia pulled one back, but it all seemed like we're just checking off something before the big WTC final between these same two teams. So I just remember being underwhelmed. I don't know what it is. Maybe you remember it better than me. Um, I I just remember knowing that India will win this series, fine, but I'm actually looking forward to the WTC. Maybe that's another thing. Maybe that was also that also contributed to me not being as interested in the series because I was like, okay, you can win all these games, but let's win the one that really matters. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. That's interesting. I, I actually followed this series in a lot of detail. Um, it, I mean, I, I was lucky that at that point, work was also not as crazy. So that came together as, you know, me being able to stay up late and watch all these games. And um, I thought from a contest perspective, it was really, really great. And I know we take India winning a test series in India for granted, but yeah. this was only the third test that they've lost since 2017. So the, the the fact that Australia came back to win one test against this solid Indian team after having lost two already, um, you know, it kind of showed that the Australians are, you know, and even though they're, they're no match for India in those conditions in, in India, they, you know, they know how to fight. And Nathan Lyon taking 11 wickets in that game was 
was great. But the guy that I remember very clearly from that test series is Osman Khawaja. Um, I've yeah. always thought of, you know, always liked him as a batter. Um, but it was so great to see him make all those runs, you know. Um, throughout the series, he was getting 50s. I, didn't, I don't believe he got 100, but, um, you know, he was getting 50s. He was spending a lot of time on the crease. There were a couple of batters, Alex Carey, for example, who would come in and start sweeping. And, and he got, I think, a four-ball duck followed by a three-ball duck, something like that. Yeah. Um, um, you know, they had certain strategies. Osman Khawaja was nothing like that. He was just playing his game. He was playing on his back foot as he always does, having grown up in Australia, which is not ideal in these spinning conditions, but he made it work. And I think that was just really great to see, you know, just amazing application and to end up the highest scorer against Ashwin, Jadeja and the likes in India with, you know, players like Kohli and others in, in the opposition. I think that was an outstanding achievement. And in my mind, that sort of cemented his legacy as a really, really top quality Australian opening batter. Because before that, yeah. I feel like he was he was there and thereabouts. But... Um, you know, kind of like David Warner, and obviously he's a fantastic test opener, but the difference is in the last five years, he's averaged 16 Australia and 25 abroad. So there's yeah. a, you know, the, he's obviously got methods which make him very successful in Australia. He's not useless, in abro useless abroad, but just not as effective. And Khawaja, you know, showed that he could be, and, and that was just, uh, to me, that was the most satisfying bit, apart from, of course, India winning the series, um, and then well, there was one thing that uh, you know, in hindsight, was probably a sign of things to come. Uh, Travis Head was left out of the first game. I remember that, and there was a lot of uh, outcry in the Australian media and like former players. But like, why would you leave like a player on form like out just because of some you know like math or like some sort of uh, matchup? You know, like you're thinking in that uh, sense. Um, and of course he eventually came back, was it second or third game? And I don't remember him setting it on fire, but he definitely was a lot more assured in his batting. And of course, as we will probably talk about, uh, <laughs> he, came, he had one more, uh, in him to frustrate the Indian bowlers. But yeah, I remember that. And I remember Australia also trying out a couple of, uh, spinners, um, apart from Nathan Lyon, Todd Murphy and... Was the other guy? Kuhnman, Michael Kuhnman. Kuhnman, yes. Um, they did, again, they didn't set it on fire, but um, I remember thinking, man, Australia is just relying on a few, three or four players and they can't consistently win anything. And again, another thing that <laughs> ended up being proven uh, false. Yep. And, and the other call-out star for that was Akshar Patel, which... By the way, it's a really good signs for the Indian team because now this current Indian lineup, which has been you know doing well for India since the 2015-2014 stage, includes somebody like Jadeja, who's obviously a proven all-rounder. He's 36. Um, but it was great to see Akshar Patel, a man with similar talents, if not exactly the same, um, you know, much younger to him doing well, just showed a really great application, ended as the second highest run scorer for India. And he bowled with a lot of control, even though Ashwin and Jadeja took majority of the wickets, he bowled really tight and he bowled very well. So it was great to see that, you know, it seems like we have that 
that spot covered once Jadeja needs to move on, uh, which uh, in all likelihood is going to be within the next couple of years. I, you know, as as fit as he is, I, I don't know how how long can somebody like Jadeja or even Kohli for that matter go, um, since both are you know on the wrong side of thirty five now. Um, same so... with Ashwin, who's also thirty seven. So there's a few players in this lineup which are which are heading towards the you know dawn of their career. Um, and um, that's that's one of the reasons which pushed me to go to South Africa next week so that I could watch them once once again in a test match. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One one last time before uh, you know, you never know when they retire and you don't get a chance to see them in a test test match again. You know, the one thing that scares me the most, um, because you reminded me of this. Um, I remember when, uh, years ago, when we knew that such Janelka was going to retire soon. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember when he eventually, I remember when there was talk about it, there was all the, for me, I was like, who's going to replace such and he's irreplaceable. Like, you know, nobody can fill his shoes, but by the time he retired and especially after the, the first few months, you know, a tender occurred less India. Uh, I'm talking about test cricket, of course. You know, I honestly did not feel his absence. You know, it was it was unusual to see India without Tendulkar, but I didn't feel like performances suffered or anything like that because there were players who were there. You know, Pujara, Kohli, Rahane were you know that middle order, and they were pretty good at least at that time. And so we never had to miss um, uh, Tendulkar. And now even, you know, we're talking about Kohli, who we don't know for how much longer he's going to be playing. But I feel like India doesn't lack for batters, um, you know, in domestic cricket, you know, in first-class cricket. I feel there are players who have already shown they can step up. But the thing that scares me the most is I don't know if Ashwin and Jadeja can be adequately replaced. Sure, Akshar Patel is doing a pretty good job, but who is the other spinner. I mean, the options are what? Washington, Sundar. Um, I don't know about Ravi Bishnoi, like how his first-class stats are. Um, Kuldeep Yadav, I know he's had pretty decent test stats, but I don't know if any one of them can step up. Uh, because again, you know, talking about us taking things for granted with India's performance in a home test, I think a lot of Indian cricket fans also take Ashwin and Dereja for granted because they played for so long, they played together, and they made winning in test such a like a common occurrence that you know we just take it as a given. And I I, I feel like we're going to be in for a shocker because we probably are not going to win as dominantly or as many consistently once they are done because we'll have probably good spinners but not world class like that. Or do you think we do have people who could step up in time? I mean, we definitely have quality in terms of talent. I don't think that's a question. You know, Kuldeep is just a perfect example of a really quality spinner who has shown how good he is in both one days and, and T20s to, to, to some extent as well. I think to match, to, I think your point is still valid though, because, you know, to match two players who were, Averaging 22-23 with the ball in all home tests while still occasionally, you know, adding useful runs with the bat. That's just very, very hard to fill. Like, uh, you know, yeah. Akshar Patel, to your point, like he'll he'll do well with the bat. I think he's a better batter than Jadeja. 
or at least Jadeja, what Jadeja was seven, eight, nine, eight, ten years ago. But he's not the bowler that Jadeja is. You know, he's just even though he's pretty consistent, he he's not that same level of bowler. Um, and with Ashwin, same thing. Like I don't know if there's, I don't think there's can be a twenty five, twenty six year old even with five six years of Test cricket who's going to bowl as smartly as Ashwin did in, you know, the Border Gavaskar Trophy win in Australia. Like, I know he only yeah. played, what, two tests or three tests. And in in those tests as well, the way he, you know, trapped Steve Smith, kept him on one particular side, things like that, you know, following what Bharat Arun and others had set, following that plan to perfection, um, the way he did, I yeah, I don't know if, you know, we're going to have that level of control in the next spinner, it's probably going to take a while. It's not that we, again, we don't have, it's not that we have talent, but it's really hard to expect a 25, 26 year old or, you know, relatively inexperienced red balls spinner to come in and deliver. So, yeah. and and to your point about Sachin, that's a great way to compare. And the reason it's not, like it's hard to miss Sachin is to your point, we had a lot of batting talent. But at the same time, we were not a team that, that won all the time. In 2011, at home, we had lost to England. That team contained Pujara, Dravid, Sachin. I believe that also had uh, Zahir Khan. So that that team had a lot of stars, and we still lost at home to England. And again, that was a very, very good England side. Um, Then we also went on to do 0-8 under them in Australia and England. So... Yeah. Even the Sachin was obviously an instrumental part of it and an outstanding batter. There's little doubt that that team didn't win as much. So once that transition happened within a year or so, we started winning more. You tend to forget the past from, from that respect as well. Here, it's almost unlikely that we'll continue our win-loss rate. Like the way yeah. we are winning at home, it's almost you know impossible for the next set of players to continue that it's uh, I would be very surprised if they do I think we're gonna see a lot more one-off losses and things like that and that's when people will start valuing or you know realizing that you know Ashwin and Jadeja were being taken for granted or even for that matter Umesh Yadav who has a splendid yeah. record in test cricket you know he's 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 taken for granted Moving on, so I know we've talked a lot about Indian Test Cricket and uh, we have a fascinating series coming up in just another week, so that should be great to watch in South Africa. But taking a break from Test Cricket, moving on to the IPL. So we had a really long IPL this time and uh, of course they won. Uh, they were won by your favorite team, the Chennai Super Kings. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll pass it over to you for this one. What were your thoughts on this year's IPL? So first of all, I hope people who are listening who might be test purists or, you know, um, international cricket fans won't mind me saying or won't be too upset with me saying that for me, this was the highlight of my 2023 <laughs> <laughs> as a cricket fan. Listen, listen, if India had won the World Cup, that would have been it. OK, but they did not. And so the next best thing was uh, my favorite IPL team. Chennai Super Kings winning um, again a, a tournament where 
they they were they were they were among the top teams throughout the, the league, but they never felt like like a well oiled unit. They were they were winning games, but you looked at them, you looked at the players, they all seemed on the verge of like, you know, breaking down and like having an injury. Um, but still, I don't know, it's something about Dhoni, man. I'm telling you, it's something about Dhoni. Uh, even though he didn't have the greatest tournament himself, um, it just seemed he was powered by the well wishes of people everywhere. Um, and somehow they managed to win uh, this IPL, a final that lasted over the course of three days, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so it was well worth it, though. So, listen, I... Initially, I was not sure when they added two IPL teams, uh, the Gujarat Titans and the Lucknow Super Giants, um, two years ago. I was not sure if we needed more IPL teams because there's been a lot of talk about them wanting to add even more teams. You know, essentially adding more and more, taking up like a big chunk out of the calendar. But somehow these two teams have fit in well, and actually, in the last two years, they've been among the top teams. In fact, so. They've definitely added value. They've definitely added some quality, but the length is definitely challenging. There were times during this season that I just checked out. I would check in on the scores, but I could not follow every game. And I feel like IPL fatigue is a serious thing. Um, you know, too much of a thing, uh, you know, it's not good. Or uh, So I don't know. I feel like the IPL organizers have to be careful with that where they don't overstay their welcome. And I think uh, so far, so good. People are still like invested. Um, but then there are pe- people like me who just for some time will just check out. Um, but all of that is, I think, you know, when at, at the end of the day, when you look at the tournament as a whole and you look at the performances, there were so many electric moments. Obviously, for me, Chennai Super Kings winning, will ob- uh, like I mentioned, is the highlight. But the biggest moment of the IPL was actually something that we did an episode on, which was Rinku Singh um, hitting five sixes in the in the last over uh, when they needed 31 runs to win or 30 runs to win. Uh, that to me was the highlight of the year, along with Maxwell's uh, World Cup knock against Afghanistan. But uh, uh, that itself just showcased what's so, you know, amazing about the IPL, the spectacle, you know, you, you just don't get that as often in international cricket. So I know I, I'm not going to apologize for uh, enjoying the IPL. I, I, I'm honestly getting to a stage of my life where I'm more excited to watch IPL games than some of these international games, because there just seems to be so many odd bilaterals here and there. And it's hard to keep track of, but something like an IPL, I know what to expect. I know who to root for. I know who, uh, you know, what's going to happen. So in that respect, it was another year where the IPL just delivered and there was some amazing games, amazing individual performances. And of course, the ideal result at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, ideal for you. Ideal not for Gujarat Titans. They were so close and almost in control of that final. (laughs) And they were like almost ready to make two and two under Hardik Pandya, but... Oh well. The one, the one other thing that you know makes it interesting is, I I completely agree on the fatigue part. Uh, I've I've mentioned many times on the podcast or people who have interacted to that IPL is a tournament I watch with the least focus. I you know prefer international cricket, but 
when the tournament is this long, even trying to catch up with highlights becomes a pain because, you know, if I'm busy a couple of days, I'm like, I have to watch two hours of highlights then to catch up with four different games that's, that have gone on. Um, so that is one aspect. And I've always thought, oh man, we're definitely going to run into a situation where, you know, the administrators overreach and the, the viewership starts dropping. Having said that, what I've noticed is things like the, what is it called? Legends League Cricket, uh, which happened pretty quickly after the World Cup. You know, not mm-hmm. super long after, maybe like two to three weeks after the World Cup ending in India. They had full houses for that. Or or not maybe full houses, but, you know, 60-70% crowds for most games. And I was just shocked. You know, I, we're seeing like not as fit cricketers just coming up, turning up, having a good time, not extremely serious cricket. Uh, and, and even then, people were flocking in to watch. So... I, I don't know. I just I feel like it's just the appetite for cricket and just the number of people that are there who are interested in the product is so high that, yeah, the IPL is really just going to grow. I don't, as much as I don't want it to, as much as I want it to be within, you know, let's say a six-week period at a max, I, I really doubt it's going to stay in that period. It's It's going to grow because there's just so much appetite. And to your point, like, you know, let's say if you're, um, you're busy at certain times of the week uh, due to work or due to just personal things and you miss those, you check out, you just catch the score. There's others who watch then and then miss some other time and there's just like enough viewership in general, whether yeah. it's due to fo- fan following of individual stars or you know loyalty to f- specific franchises, whatever the reason might be. Um, there's just enough there and um, yeah, the quality hasn't gone down so much that you would think, oh, yeah, the the players are not as good or, like, it's not worth watching the IPL, even if you're a neutral like me. Uh, the quality is still pretty solid. So, um, you know, there's enough reason to tune in. I think there is a distinct possibility that one day, some years down the road, that at least in India, fans will be more interested in IPL than in international cricket. I think it's distinct possibility based on my experience. Uh, just because like this year when I when I was watching the IPL, like I was, even if I couldn't watch every game and even taking into account like the fatigue factor that I mentioned, when I was watching the games or when I was, you know, I didn't mind watching other teams apart from Chennai Super Kings as well. Like I was watching, you know, any other team, RCB versus KKR, for instance. And... I cannot say the same thing about Indian uh, cricket this year. Like, sure, I followed the India-Australia series. I followed the World Cup. Um, I followed the Asia Cup. And that's probably it. I I know India played a bunch of bilaterals. There were so many different captains for Indian team this year. <laughs> what is there, six or eight? Six or seven players captain, captaining India this year. And there was a point where India, there was two Indian teams playing at the same time. I think one was the Commonwealth Games and then I think at the start of the World Cup. So it was like, there was so much international cricket to the point where I didn't feel like India ever had the best level until they really came to the World Cup. So for me as a fan, there was no incentive to watch a game where this Indian team couldn't even bother to feel their best level. I mean, sure, they had valid reasons for that, but... If they couldn't be bothered to feel their best, I mean, why should I bother to spend my time watching them play? Because this is like a India A team for me. 
But with the IPL, it's different. You know, this is like, first of all, the cream of the crop. You get best players from around the world. And the franchises really put their heart and soul into it. You know, there was a time when all of this was like fun and games, but now it's become serious business. You know, people are really intent. People are really serious. And so for me as a fan, I'm more invested in IPL than in international cricket, uh, excluding World Cup or big tournaments like that. So I... I just think that more and more people will just start feeling that way, especially given how IPL is trending and international cricket is turning out to be. I, I think you're saying that from the perspective of people like us who grew up in the world of international cricket. You know, they grew up in the 90s, maybe early 2000s. All those people grew up watching India versus XYZ. You know, some team taking on India and that was a focus. Or, you know, if you were English fan, England versus whatever. The truth is, I think a lot of the younger fans are already in an era where oh, yeah. they only follow the IPL. So I think that number is just going to keep going up, as you're saying. So, yeah, that I think is, that's already there. That is so true about the younger generation. I, I'm, I'm feeling like an old man now when I say it. But, you know, whenever I see comments on social media, like especially during the World Cup, um, when there are players who are st stabilizing the innings, right? Um there will always be like comments like, why aren't they playing faster? Why aren't they hitting a six or four right now? I'm like, are you watching the game? Are you like, nobody takes into factor like the opposition, how they're bowling, the intricacies of the pitch. It's all about, and I think that's the sad byproduct of T20s because there, even if, you know, things are tough, you still have to hit out um, and find new ways to hit out, improvise. Whereas in test cricket and one day cricket, you have the flexibility, uh, you have the luxury of time where you can kind of, you know, stabilize a little bit. And I think there's a subset of fans these days, a growing subset of fans who don't appreciate it just because how T20 has muddled our <laughs> following of the game. So that is a very real thing. All right, let's move on. So the next bit is we're back to test cricket. Um, in the middle of the year, we had the World Test Championship final. We briefly touched on it. Uh, Australia took on India, which really quality Indian side, but another ICC win for the Australians. Uh, to be fair, um, you know, a touch unfortunate for India and, and Asian teams for that matter who reached the finals because all these World a test championship finals are held in England, which to me doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, like any World Cup, that should rotate as well. But so far, we've had two, both in conditions that don't, uh, that favor a certain type of attack. And in the first time, we saw New Zealand benefiting from that, even though India fought hard. The second time, we saw Australia benefiting from that. And then, of course, that man again, Travis Head, is standing in India's way. Unfortunately, not for the last time in the year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a, a good game, but nonetheless, uh, you know, something that will not India that, oh, that we were so close with such a fantastic side and hopefully they'll, they'll get a chance again in the next edition. Um, uh, but overall thoughts on the world test championship, how has your, I guess, uh, interest in following that? I know you said, you know, world cup is a big one. Um, do you think the World Test Championship is starting to grow in stature from that perspective? 
um, because there's always all these questions about the ODI World Cup or the ODI format, the future and all of that. Um, do you think there's a chance that the WTC becomes the marquee tournament a few years or maybe a couple of decades down the line? I mean, it'll become the marquee event in test cricket, not in cricket in general. I think the 50-over World Cup will still be the marquee event of international cricket, just because of its history since it's been around since 1975. I'm talking about men's cricket, obviously. And whereas T20s just started this century, so um, it's not going to have that same pull as a 50-over World Cup. And WTC, in an ideal world, that would be the biggest marquee event in the international cricket calendar. But obviously, we just started. And as I mentioned in a previous podcast, um, there's a lot left to be desired in the way the WTC has been structured. Because, um, you know, the, the, the finalists who, who make it to the WTC um, end stage, it really depends on which teams they're playing and where they're playing, right? I mean... I get it. Test cricket, just by its length, it's not, you can't like host it in like one country over the span of two months. And, you know, uh, so you kind of fit it around that feature of test cricket. It's five days. You play it, you know, in tours, in a touring format. And so it really is like, okay, which countries are like, let's say, let's take India. Okay. India is going to play these three teams at home, these three teams away. And then the other teams, the same thing. And that's very unequal because I think in the first cycle, Pakistan had a bad luck of the draw. Like they just didn't have um, either enough series or just like the opposition to really make a strong push for the final. So it's it's imperfect, you know, the WTC uh, structuring as it is. But it's also the only thing we have. And so I'll take it. You know, I'm actually, I, I, I love the whole concept of the World Test Championship. And I think while there's room for lots of improvement, since it's the only thing we have, um, I can definitely get behind it. And I hope it becomes a marquee event, but it just doesn't have the history behind it. So as a Test fan, yes, I enjoy it. But the 50 over World Cup will be, for me, it, that'll always be the biggest you know, the centerpiece. Uh, I do want to make a point about what you, you mentioned about the World Test Championship Finals being held in England. I get the reasoning for it because I think I read somewhere that as in terms of time zone, you know, people tuning in from around the world, uh, but also the pitches there, you can really get any kind of pitch in England. Like those were the reasoning. I don't necessarily agree with it. And I don't think factors of time zone or pitch that should matter. I mean, any world championship worth its salt, you need to have it in different countries so that people can be exposed to it in those countries. Fans get to go watch it. Only if only England get to watch the World Test Championship final. Like, you know, I'm talking about English fans or people who can afford to travel uh, to England yeah. to watch these games. That is, that's not fair. That's, um, you know, just the way, the same way the 50 World Cup and the T20 World Cup is held at different countries and people, more and more people get to go to these games. Um, I think the ICC should move on from that. I did have two options for them if they are willing to listen. Um, one option was, uh, let's say, the winner of the World Test Championship final should host the next final. So in this case, since Australia won like the last that. one... 
they should get the advantage of hosting the next one, the next WTC final. Or this this might be a little bit more harder. This might be a little harder to pull because it is probably a short time frame. But the team that has the most points in that cycle should get to host it. So, for instance, India did all. India did great, you know, uh, in both cycles, but especially in the second cycle, they topped the points, right? Like they topped the table, so to speak. They got they got the most points. So there has to be some benefit to that, right? There has to be some perk. There has to be some incentive <laughs> for topping. Uh, and so for that, you get to host it. And imagine if Australia had topped it, they would have hosted the World Test Championship final at, in their backyard. So there's, it creates an extra incentive for these teams to not just win, but also to top the table so they get to host. And I think that would be make it, you know, at the the uh, the league stage of the WTC itself to be, you know, spicier. So I think, uh, you know, these might be better options than just hosting it in one country every time. Yeah, the second one, the only challenge I'd see is like, you know, we'll have to move the date of the final based on where, who like makes it if we go with the second option. Yeah, the cutoff would have to be much more, you know, give it like, yeah. I don't know, three weeks is enough, maybe, I don't know. No, three but the, I guess my point is like, if it's planned for July, it'll be cold oh, in Australia and New Zealand. It. And South right, Africa. Right, right. So so that's why okay. like that one is a little bit more challenging to do. Like you would have to be flexible that, oh wait, we won't host it until October or some sometime, you know, it'll just be that's right. but that means moving other series and all of that. So it becomes that right, becomes right, right. a little more challenging. I do like the first idea. Just give it to maybe the finalists or you know, one of the finalists or or the winners, either way. Yeah. Um That's right. But let's keep yeah. moving. Um so the other piece right after that uh, WTC win was the Ashes series. So Australia stayed in England. Um, they were there to defend the Ashes um, and they started brilliantly. They won the first two test matches, although, you know, they were close games. It was really exciting. Pat Cummins uh, helping win one of them with the bat instead of the ball. Um, but the tables did turn once uh, England brought back Mark Wood and Chris Wilkes, and they won two of the final three. And to be fair to them, they were on the verge of winning the third test as well, but got interrupted by the rain. Uh, so the two picking 30-plus wickets, even scoring some runs, that helped England pull back and kind of showed that the baseball technique or that the, that framework that they've come up with is effective because it was able to you know push the mighty Australians. The, the Australians were one two the amazing bowling attack that they have. They were starting to, you know, tinker with it, trying to figure out what fields to set. It was it was a challenge for even an attack as disciplined and as solid as them. Um, so thoughts on the Ashes? How do you remember it? Of course, there was a ton of off-field controversy. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the, I'm yeah. sure you can talk about Alex Carey's haircut or the Lord's uh, members' behaviors and all of that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a full episode worth of content right there, that <laughs> Ashes series. I mean, no, this Ashes was as exciting as most Ashes contests are. I mean, especially in recent years, because the teams are more evenly matched than they were back in the 2000s. Um, so I, I, to me, I would honestly say this series was the best uh, test series to follow, you know, to watch. This was more entertaining to me than you know, any, any India series, uh, including the Australia series. 
um, just because of the spice that leading into it, all the talk of basketball and all of that. And especially with Australia winning the two, suddenly it was like, wait a minute, basketball, is it not going to be the, the thing that we were looking for? <laughs> and then, of course, England finally found their mojo and did a lot better. Uh, two things. One is um, I'm so sick and tired of basketball right now. Um, I mean, I should say the talk of basketball. I, I think the approach and the technique, and I, this is obviously not the England team's fault themselves. They didn't coin the term basketball. Um, but there's a very clear approach under coach Brendan McCullum to be very, um, uh, <laughs> not kind of arrogant, really, you know, in their, the way, the things they talk about or the things they say, you know, even after the pasting that they got in the first game, I think Zach Crawley said something like, yeah, we'll hammer Australia by like 200 runs in the next one. It, it's, I don't know if it's like just planned. It's just like a little bit of mind games there just to annoy people. But to me, I was just, you know, because England or at least English media was making it sound like English, uh, the English team was saving test cricket, which I don't buy and I don't agree. Uh, test cricket was just fine uh, before basketball and it will be fine after basketball runs its scores too um so for me i i think i'm done you know the last two years all we've heard about is basketball and i'm glad that it's it's an approach that is working for england but it's not an approach that's going to work for other teams because other teams don't have the batters to pull that approach off so whenever i hear people like oh you know so and so should do what england is doing and you know they have shown the template for test cricket i'm like no it's a template that was an out of necessity <laughs> that england had to approach it because that's they were terrible when they were playing the conventional way so they had to devise <laughs> something that worked for them but teams like india for instance they have the players who can adapt and adapt to a situation and play accordingly so they don't have to mimic um, the basketball approach. So I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward uh, to the day when, um, you know, we will not talk about basketball as much as we have over the last couple of years. Um, but the second one was, I know Australia will be disappointed that they didn't win the series outright, especially after leading to zero uh but something that stands out for me and um i mean this can be we the wtc it can be the world cup 50 world cup but including the ashes too the thing that stands out for me is pat cummins uh and his leadership like he's been the man in the middle like the man at the center of it all all these wins and even like holding england down at home like you know or or in case of australia away um, he's really been one of the standout players of 2023, from especially from a leadership point of view. And he deserves a lot of credit because I know he had to weather some storms initially when Justin Langer exited as coach and he backed his players. He dropped some great zingers in his uh, statement, you know, and um, I've really, he's really grown on me. I, I, I'm I've steadily become a fan of his just because of his approach, his attitude and his leadership. Um, so yeah, that that's one of the things that stood out for me uh, during that entire Ashes because obviously, like you said, there was a lot of off the field drama as well. And through it all, he just maintained his head. And I think the results are there to see. Absolutely. You know, Pat Cummins has been incredibly impressive also because, and this is obviously we talk about this less because this is not necessarily cricket, but 
there has been like a campaign in Australia by the conservatives against, you know, um, what they call, uh, what do they call it? Woke Pat Cummins or, or the woke Australian oh, team yeah, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. of that. So there's that whole angle to it as well, which yeah. obviously we outside of Australia don't see as much. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to see them thrive and, and do well. And it just shows that they're, you know, they're a quality side. They don't let all of these things, you know, uh, impact them and impact their performance on the field. But I will say that to me, as much as Pat Cummins has been outstanding this year, as amazing as Travis Head has been, especially in some key games, uh, the player of the year for me personally is Usman Khwaja. Um because not just did he prove himself to be outstanding in India, as we just talked about, he was also the highest run scorer in, in this Ashes. Uh, so, you know, just proving that, of course, he can score runs in Australia. That's how he, he got his way, you know, he made his way up to the team. But um, there was a lot of talk, especially when I saw the test, the season one of the test, and Justin Langer, the way he managed Osman Khwaja, I personally thought it was pretty unfair. Um, and, you know, some of the points that Khwaja made in that docuseries, the, the way he was thinking, all of that, like really uh, something that aligned with my thought process as not just as, you know, a cricket fan, but also as a person. So I always had a soft corner for him. So it was really, really nice to see him do very well in the Ashes. And um, that's why I think he's a, a key contender for Cricketer of the Year for sure. To critical test series uh, performances, of course, one of them did not lead to a win. The other led to just a draw and retaining of the Ashes. Um, but nonetheless, showing that he can bat, you know, no matter what the conditions are, whether things are spinning and Ashwin's, you know, spinning a web or uh, James Anderson is, you know, moving the ball all over the place. So um, that was also great to see. I mean, he he's a throwback to really like old school test cricket. Right. I mean, just talking about basketball, he's like the antithesis of basketball. Uh, he he likes to take his time. He likes to weather the storm, then expand, which is what we would consider conventional test batting, conventional, you know, opening in test cricket. And so just able to put aside all of that talk about like playing faster and harder, and especially when facing with the likes of Mark Wood and all these the space and then dealing, uh, or I should say first dealing with you know, like Savashwan and Jadeja in India and then dealing with someone like Mark Wood in England um, and James Anderson. And so he's been dealing, he, this year he's had to deal with the best in the business and then he's still come out on top. So I agree, he's he's shown that, you know, among all the stock of basketball, there is still room in this game for textbook cricket, textbook uh, opening batting in test cricket. Yep. Absolutely, and and on the baseball piece, I know I didn't comment on your uh, on your thoughts there, but I feel like the English media loves to build their team up. In 2019, when they won the World Cup in a in ridiculously close game, of course England had saved you know one day cricket. <laughs> they didn't win it, by the way. Let's make it clear: uh, they were yeah. award, they were declared the winners. Okay, <laughs> yes, uh, technically won it. Let's say that, um, but. Uh, so, yeah, you know, at that point, they had saved the one-day tournament uh, or the one-day World Cup. Yeah. And, of course, they, they started playing test cricket slightly differently and started winning. And, of course, it was aided by uh, one year when the Duke ball just became really flat and wasn't moving around. So that's why they were suddenly scoring 400 for fun. But, but obviously, that was put down to basketball and we are saving test cricket. And look at this. Now, crowds are full. 
crowds have always been full for test cricket in Australia and England. Yeah. That's never been a problem, apart from you know one odd center like the Perth, uh, like Perth. Um, so, yeah, all that is hyperbole, and um, the lesser you believe in it, the better it is. But they're also <laughs> quick to tear down the team. That's another thing that I've noticed. I remember when England w- lost the first two games. Uh, in the ashes immediately the media was pouncing on like McCollum and like the basketball approach that it's probably it's run its scores and they have to go back to the old approach and then they won and then they were like oh this is proved that <laughs> you know it was just reactionary kind of coverage I mean they they make their money on on TRP and clicks and all of that yeah. so that's that's probably the, the base of it um all right, so moving on towards the end of the year, obviously there's been a fair amount of cricket. We've touched on the One Day World Cup with specific episodes on that already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we won't go into too much detail. Obviously, overall, really good quality of cricket. We saw a number of you know fantastic youngsters such as Rachin Ravindra step up and perform. Um, apart from that as well, you know, just good quality of cricket. Um, some more work needed from an organizational perspective, from a broadcasting perspective, definitely. Um, I think we'll all agree, or, or majority of us will agree, that there were there was too much focus on India. There was just bad organization. Just, you know, the fan experience left a lot to be desired. Um, but frankly, that's what we were expecting in India. I, I don't think anybody was expecting an experience like 2019 England or 2015 Australia. So um, that's probably what I'll leave that to. Um, any other thoughts on one days or no, I, the other World Cup? I mean, I'll just say that for people who may not have listened uh, to our episode on the World Cup, the post-World Cup kind of breakdown that we did uh, with Karthik, uh, a.k.a. Elite Cynic, and our former host, Nish. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to like rehash the whole thing that we discussed, but... Uh, another thing that I wanted to say for people who may not have listened to that episode. Um, yes, India, you know, they played with main character syndrome, right? Like if you talk about the actual cricket, they played with main character syndrome. And I think that's what's made it harder for Indian cricket fans to accept the final result. Because if you play like that and you dominate, you know, almost every game and you get to the final against a team that's kind of scraped in that you know uh to the semi-final and then to the final to lose in that after all of that that makes it harder to swallow but the indisputable fact because for some reason there's been discussion on this too australia are deserved world cup winners okay india were the best team but australia were deserved world cup winners i mean that's the bottom line uh as far as the organize, organization aspect of it what's really confounding to me is that India did the BCCI did a great job in 2011 they do a great job every year at the IPLs well they organize the IPL so I don't understand why this year it was bad you know why why it was this bad and I don't know if there are people in place where they can give like honest feedback and take like criticisms and respond accordingly like they would in normal situations but uh, I mean there's nothing that we can say or expect. Uh, all we can do is hope that the next time that India gets to host uh, a major tournament, they do a much better job. But yes, uh, from a coverage perspective, it was just it was just very very nauseating to watch the Virat Kohli centric coverage. 
And um, I'm just glad once he got his 50, 50th century, I was like, oh my God, finally, we can finally stop talking about all of this <laughs> and get to actual cricket and talk about other teams as well. So yeah, I think that was from a following the game perspective, from a pan, fan perspective, um, it was not the greatest to, to, to follow this World Cup. So um, hopefully the next World Cup, I think it's in South Africa, right? And then uh, the next T20 World Cup, that's actually next year in West Indies and in the US, um, hopefully will be a lot better. Hopefully lessons have been learned. Absolutely. One can certainly hope. Um, but yeah, I think that's where we'll, we'll end this episode. Obviously, since the World Cup, Teams have started to transition, started thinking about the T20 World Cup Benny was just uh, referring to. So a lot of teams have started experimenting for that. India, for example, are trying people like Rinkush Singh, Tilak Verma a lot more, trying to see how they fit in, what kind of style they bring into the T20 game. Um, West Indies recently brought back Andre Russell and that resulted in a unfortunate last over loss. But but nonetheless, obviously, he adds... He adds um, quite a lot of strength to that West Indies side. Um, so yeah, a lot of exciting cricket to watch in 2024. And even in 2023, even though we are just 13 days away from the end of the year, there's, you know, test cricket coming up. So lots of exciting stuff. Yeah, I have to say that my biggest wish for 2024 as a cricket fan is that Australia not win an ICC tournament and <laughs> India win an ICC tournament. Okay, I think, you know, uh, for people like you and me who have been watching cricket for over 20, 20 plus years, we have seen enough of Australia lifting, <laughs> you know, all the big trophies. And I mean, India has done too, but the last big one was, uh, you know, the Champions Trophy in 2013 and before that, the 2011 uh, 50 World Cup. And it's been a long time, man. Uh, you know, I think uh, <laughs> it's time that uh, India lifts something so we can finally stop hearing about like this ICC trophy draw, you know, and hopefully we don't have to talk about this again and, you know, do all of that. Um, and Remember, also it's, I hope it's only, a, it's only a senior team draw to the under 19 men that's, won. That's right. And the women right. won at the beginning of the year. <laughs> yeah. But somehow that is not, it still doesn't have that same, it doesn't give you that same feeling, you know, just because of for how long we've been following this team. And uh, also, you know, the, one of the biggest disappointments in the last few years for me as an Indian cricket fan was when India failed to win in South Africa, you know, the test series in South Africa, because we are like India had won in Australia, India won one in England, uh, New Zealand, and somehow South, South Africa still remains as one country that India has never won a test series in. And Virat Kohli was captain at that time. And it just felt like this is going to be like that final frontier. <laughs> that didn't happen and was very disappointing. And of course, Kohli was no longer the captain after that. So I'm really hoping that that, that can also be put, uh, put to bed because uh, I think it's time India wins an ICC trophy and wins a test series in South Africa. And I can finally say as an Indian cricket fan, now I've seen it all. <laughs> You're you're hoping for too much. You're hoping for two major things in one year. <laughs> uh, this I had to pick one. Um, you know what? I'll still I'll pick the test series. You know, maybe the T the T Twenty World Cup can wait, or an ICC trophy can wait. I really want India to win in South Africa because that's never been done. So I'll yeah. pick that. 
<laughs> I I'm with you. Uh, not just because I'm going there to watch one of their tests, but also because like, that's right. Uh, uh, but also hopefully because, it'll bring you know, us luck. I am certainly hoping so, but <laughs> also because I feel that the next time we travel to South Africa, the team might look completely different. So mm. I think our chances are going to dip quite a bit. So this might be a really yeah. really good chance to try to do it. And also, like I think Rabada is injured. Uh, Lungi Angiri is injured, so they have a few injuries. I know uh, Nokia has anyways been out for a few months now. So they have a few injuries from their bowler standpoint. Uh, I mean, not to say that Marco Jansen and others are not going to trouble us, but nonetheless, should be a good contest. <laughs> well, here's hoping to a great 2024 in general, but also as cricket fans uh, and Indian cricket fans, here's hoping that uh, there is some good tidings in the new year. Uh, but to our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of The Last Wicked. Uh, this is obviously the last episode of this year. And if you are loyal listeners and if you listen to us consistently, thank you for being patient uh, because we we know it's very infrequent that we put out these episodes. And if you're still listening, uh, thank you for sticking with us through it all. And uh, hopefully next year we'll, we'll bring more conversations, uh, more interesting guests to speak with. And so uh, till then, we wish you uh, a great 2024 ahead. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicked. Do check out other episodes on your podcast app of choice or at thelastwicket.com. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoy this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice, follow us on your social media feeds, and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening, and from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you.